Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Happy New Year and happy 75th birthday to my brother Gary and welcome to the Clark Howard Show. Our mission is to serve and empower you so you make better financial decisions in your life. One decision I hope you will never make is to get behind the wheel of a car after drinking. Now, we just went through amateur night, New Year's Eve, the night that uh, police and state troopers dread all over the country. It's such a dangerous time. And there's some new technology that is coming to our vehicles that's going to prevent it whether somebody has an ongoing problem with alcohol or on an amateur night, they get behind the wheel when they shouldn't. And that's really cool. I'm going to fill you in on that. It's also the new year. Time to talk about debt hangovers. A lot of people open up the wallet, a little much, and charge up things that they don't have the money to pay for We're going to talk about debt hangovers coming ahead. So a couple of factors going on right now, Krista. And I should say, Krista, my boss, (laughs) the COO of Clark.com, and, uh, well, actually, yeah, you're the COO of Clark Howard, Inc. and Clark Howard Media, Inc. Mm Mm-hmm. And but my job is to serve you and serve the audience. But anyway, you're the big shot, and I do what <laughs> yeah, you tell me. Uh-huh. <laughs> and uh, happy New Year to you. Thank you. Happy and New Year to you. Happy I'm excited to be back with you again this year. I love, love doing this with you. The did, Clark Howard Show is super fun to be a part of. And did you watch Trading Places during the holiday season? Like no. Too close to Thanksgiving to be a jive turkey. I watched country, a lot of Hallmark movies. Year. Yeah, sorry. Uh, you know, none of that. <laughs> Well, anyway, let's get to this because it's it's so tragic that a third of our road deaths in the United States are because somebody's DUI, DWI. And again, it's people who have a problem with alcohol ongoing. It's people who go out, they party a little too much, they think they're fine behind the wheel, and they get out there and... They could cost their own lives, that of others, property damage, tragic loss of life, of loved ones, all of that. So there ought to be a law. MAD wanted one forever, Mothers Against Drunk Driving. And they and other organizations were able to get the Congress finally to do something. And there's now a federal requirement that autos no later than three model years from now, that autos will have a system that will be able to sense whether you are under the influence and will not let you drive the vehicle if you are. Uh, You may be aware that in many states, there's a more rudimentary technology for a breathalyzer that is tied into the ignition 
for people who have been convicted of DUI, DWI in a number of states, but need to be able to go work, they'll be able to drive during the day only, and they do the breathalyzer when they get in the car, and then they can drive. But this is a system that, because of the changes in technology, it'll be much less intrusive than an ignition interlock breathalyzer system. And each automaker is free to do this however they want. Um, I think the, the regs that will ultimately be published will give the discretion to the automakers. And, of course, there will be stories as these systems launch that this one didn't work right and that one didn't work right. But the net result is that one in three people killed on the roads won't be killed anymore because a DUI is the vehicle fleet moves from vehicles that don't have these systems to those that do. It'll be a gradual decrease, but one that is late in coming and will be really, really valuable. I do want to say something. I want to be uh, Uncle Clark for a second here. People learned almost two years ago in the early part of the pandemic to drive like idiots. I mean, come on, let's call it what it is. The roads were empty, and people decided in urban-suburban areas in particular with wide stretches of asphalt or concrete, hey, it's time for me to be like I'm at the Indy 500, and people's driving has deteriorated. Even though far fewer miles are being driven, the number of road fatalities is up. and is not okay. And each of us can only do what's the right thing on our own part. But it means that as a driver, I've become more defensive in my driving because I know I'm seeing people do crazy stuff all the time. And my car alarms when I do something like following too close or whatever. Are you using that technology? Oh, yes, yours? I am. And so... I've noticed that that alarm has been going off a lot more often as people cut me off Mm -hmm. in traffic. There's a lot more of that, a lot more, uh, I'm going to say it, stupidity behind the wheel. And what I hate is I've got a teenager who's learning that's how you're supposed to drive from how he's seeing people drive. Do you think it's because people are more stressed out? Because when you're stressed out and then you get like you have to get somewhere and you have angry anger and stuff, which people seem like some mental health issues have gotten worse during COVID, maybe that has some correlation there. I mean, it certainly could be the case. You know, I think it got a booster shot from people who suddenly were able to drive just the free open highway. (laughs) But I think you're right. I think that there's a lot of raw nerves from COVID. I mean, thank goodness. The last time the world had to go through a worldwide pandemic was 1918, 1919, when I was in high school. No, <laughs> long ago, when we lost unbelievable number of lives in the world. And this time, in spite of modern medicine, we're still losing millions of people in the world. And I think it all the disruption in life and workplace and isolation from each other. Yeah, I mean, that's probably a factor in the driving. And so just remember that, and if you yourself are not being as careful as you may have been in the past and you're dealing with some aggression behind the wheel, 
be aware of that and settle down. And also be aware there are people that are driving terribly and you need to be more defensive, leave more space between you and other vehicles. Do everything you can to do your part to try to make the roads more safe. So enough. Was that sound like Daddy Clark or Uncle Clark? No, Uncle Friend Clark. Okay, I just, <laughs> I just want you to get home alive yes. and safe, day after day. Speaking of speaking of this, uh, Logan in Georgia wrote in and said, "My wife hit a deer with our family wow. minivan, and it's totaled." I know it's a terrible time to be purchasing a vehicle, used or new, but we have to find something to replace it. It really makes us sick, as our makes me sick, as our van was properly maintained and completely paid for. Under the current market for vehicles right now, what is the most cost-effective plan to take in order to get a vehicle? A wing and a prayer, Logan. This is hard. I mean, the the vehicle shortages are going to lessen through twenty two. But right now, it's impossible. I mean, it is impossible. So the only thing I can think of is to buy a very old vehicle to nurse you through the months till the vehicle market gets back into some form of equilibrium. And that will happen in 22 as the automakers, one by one, seem to be getting better at dealing with the uh, supply chain issues with chips. And so it will get better through this year. But in the meantime, if you figure the price of any vehicle is inflated, buying an older vehicle that's inflated, that, uh, you know, is going to be inflated less in raw dollars than a newer, more expensive vehicle. So if you can just buy something older and use as a placeholder, until prices and supplies become more in sync, then later this year you'd be making a second purchase, but that's the only good strategy. And the good news about this story is you didn't say anybody was hurt Mm -hmm. because uh, people die hitting Hitting deer. deer. And do you know once I hit two deer at once? Do you That is very bad luck, no. I was (laughs) in western South Dakota. Uh, near uh, Custer State Park, which was an area with a lot of buffalo, beautiful areas. And I came around a bend at sunset. It was, a, it was after sunset. Come around the corner, and there are two deer in the road, and bam, bam. Mm. And uh, the deer were smaller deer. They went tumbling, and they... Uh, and I knew I knew the rule, you don't get out of the car. Right, no. And they dazed, got up, kind of uh, uh, worked their way into the woods, and I assume they, neither of them made it. But the vehicle was actually okay. They were small enough to hear, and I was going slow enough. So I was very, very lucky for me, not lucky for the deer, very lucky for me. Let's just assume they were great. So the deer were lucky too. Uh, Okay, this yes, is ma'am. this is from Martin in Vermont. So we're, we're Walt Disney now. The deer were just well, fine. you know, you can assume one thing or the other, yeah. so choose the good thought. Martin in Vermont says, I often read stories about someone leaving a very large tip to a waitress that is many times larger than the entire cost of the meal. Does that tip have to be reported as income to the IRS, or can it be treated as a gift? 
So, uh, okay, Martin. So you're allowed to give any individual, doesn't have to be a relative, any other individual, you're allowed to give somebody up to $15,000 that does not cause a gift tax problem for you and does not cause an income issue for them. And so I think that when somebody gives a very, very, very large tip, it would be considered to be in that gifting category because in no way would it fit normal, uh, a normal business event that someone would get a tip of $1,000, let's say, on a $12 meal. And that's just me. I'm not the IRS commissioner. But I would look at that as a non-taxable gift. This is from Venki in California. I own two cars, one of which is 20 years old and the other is 16 years old. Good for you. (laughs) I love this. The insurance policies on both of these cars do not include collision coverage. Only one of my credit cards provides auto rental collision damage waiver. If I pay for my car rental with this credit card, am I fully covered insurance-wise? Okay, so let's go back a step. First, fantastic that you have these older vehicles. It's so good for your wallet. Second, you did the right thing by eliminating collision coverage. Generally, once a car passes like 10 years of life, the formula could be different depending on the vehicle, you generally want to self-insure for the vehicle and just have liability coverage like you do. When you use a credit card to rent a car, it is generally most cards that provide rental car coverage, it's secondary coverage after whatever your auto insurance pays. In your case, the auto insurance would pay nothing, so it would be primary coverage. The other thing, though, is the liability issue. Let's say you're in an accident in a rental car and it's your fault. The liability coverage you have with the insurance you have for the two vehicles is what steps in for the liability side in the event that you're in an accident in a rental car that is your fault. But the credit card would become the equivalent of primary in this case. And next, I got to talk to you about credit. Because, you know, if you use credit as a payment system, A-OK. But if you're using credit to borrow, that's where it can eat you up. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive help supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Americans historically have been much better spenders than savers. And when we went into the pandemic two years ago, the average American was saving roughly six cents of each dollar they made. And then when the country went into lockdown back in March, April, May, June, depending on where you were in the country, how long the lockdowns were, suddenly people started saving a third of their pay on average in the United States. I don't know that we've ever had a time in American history like we did almost two years ago 
when we went from saving our normal six cents on the dollar as Americans to a third of what we make on average. And this puts us in rarefied air that is pretty much the standard practice across Asia. Across Asia, and there's differences country to country, Asia is not a monolith continent, but uh, people that are Asian middle class or above tend to, in China or Japan or wherever, they tend to save a huge chunk of their pay and very commonly one out of every three fill-in-the-blank currency that they've earned money in. That's not the way we've lived. And now we're back to pretty much normal, where Americans are back to saving five, six, seven cents on the dollar on average. So we went through this cycle where we were putting aside huge money because we didn't know if the world was coming to an end. In addition, where were we going to spend the money when all we could do is walk from the living room to the bedroom, back to the kitchen? Okay, we've just, we're in the kitchen for a while. Let's go back to the living room. I mean, we had nowhere we could go. That's why during the heart of the pandemic, I was walking 20,000 steps a day. I was going crazy in the house. I was getting out walking and walking and walking. Didn't matter the weather. Didn't matter if it was raining, sunny, hot, cold, in between. I was out walking to deal with that feeling of being locked up. Uh, So Americans, once people, even though COVID has still been with us, but Americans resume life and resume spending and now are borrowing money again. So you have this mix. You have people who may have adopted new habits of saving a little more money. They have others that are back to borrowing. And the overall mix is back to like somewhere around six cents of each dollar saved. And the balances on loans are going up. You look at various types of loans, people are borrowing more money. Well, as we know, inflation has been an issue. Interest rates have been low for a long, long, long time since 2007. I guess interest rates have been very low for the last 15 years. And that's to try to keep the U.S. and the world during the Great Recession, the banking scandals and the Great Recession that followed, from going into another worldwide depression. And so there were all kinds of things that central banks did around the world to keep interest rates down. And now we're at a time in the economic cycle here and overseas where interest rates are going to start moving up. Why does that matter to you? Well, if you have credit card debt, personal loans, and even number of types of ways of borrowing, the interest rates you pay are variable. And if you are running debts on credit cards or other things that have variable interest rates, and those interest rates, if I'm right, are going to go through, it'll be choppy, but the trend is not going to be your friend in terms of rates. They're going to, over time, not with near certainty, but I'd say likelihood, they're going up. So that means every dollar you borrow on a credit card that you can't pay off, you're going to pay more in interest on that. And nobody ever got rich paying Visa or MasterCard 17, 18, 19, 24, 26, 30%. And so I want you 
to know what we are capable of and how we handle money. Unless you're just starved for income. We're talking about what we are capable with and how much, as we learned almost two years ago, how much of spending is discretionary. How much are things we want to buy, not that we have to buy. Money we want to spend, not that we have to spend. And so living a debt-free lifestyle existence is really key to what I want you to think about doing. I don't want you to fall into old habits where you're running big balances with credit cards. We as Americans have done a great job corralling that. And the other thing, it's not a variable rate loan, but the other area that's been panicking me, I mean, this is like panicking me, shallow breathing, is the amount people are borrowing to buy vehicles. When you start looking at what kind of budget hole you're creating in your life, when you take out a huge vehicle loan and then stretch those payments out six or seven years, that's why I shallow breathe. I don't want that for you. So in 22, here's a New Year's resolution for you. I want you to really think through what you're spending and what you can afford to spend, not as a payment buyer. I don't want you to go to a dealership and say, oh, well, the payment will be blah, blah, blah a month. Oh, I can do that. Uh -uh. Keep your eyes fully focused on what total amount of debt you're taking out and how long you have that debt, and maybe you'll lose some of that new vehicle fever. Krista? Okay, let's get to some questions. This is from Dave in Florida. For the purpose of helping aging an aging parent pay bills, can you give advice about an adult son or daughter being on the parent's checking account and credit card account? Are there tax implications or liability or anything like that? So you get on the credit card, you've created big liabilities. And that is a risk because when you are a co-owner on a credit card, you are, and a lot of issuers don't like to do co-owners anymore, by the way. But when you do that, if an issuer will allow you to be an obligor, obligor, is that a word? Yes. On a credit card, that you are liable for whatever is charged on that card. As in addition, a parent is liable for whatever you might charge on that card. So that's not a strategy I recommend for you to get things under control. It is very common, I find, that adult children with an aging parent will end up on the checking account as a way of making sure that a parent maybe who is maybe slipping a little is not getting into a position where they are having their money swipe from them, whatever. Another way of doing these two things is to make it a point of visiting your parents regularly and going through all their bills or getting online access to each of the accounts and tracking what's going on with them so that you know if there's dangerous patterns going on with the spending or the borrowing. And that's the most important thing. What you're really looking for here is access to the information to protect an aging parent more than anything else. This is from Tina in Oklahoma. My husband is planning on retiring early three years from now, leaving me without health care. 
While we're excited about the possibility of traveling, the reality is this will leave me without health care for six years. I don't mind working, but I'm not optimistic that I'll be able to find a job that will pay benefits until I'm ready to retire. Jobs in my field use contract workers to fill positions and do not offer better benefits, do not often offer benefits. How do we find out what my medical care will cost in advance so we can prepare for the next three years? So under the uh, ACA, the uh, what people refer to as Affordable Care Act, uh, its legal name, or Obamacare, there are strict rules about you being able to buy individual policies that don't necessarily pick on you a lot because of your age. Historically, with healthcare, as you got older, if you could get it, it would have exclusions on what it would cover, pre-existings, and people that were older paid much, much, much higher premiums than people that are younger. Both of those things, the pre-existings and the massively higher premiums for older people, those were both eliminated as part of the ACA. So you will be able to buy health coverage but I want to tell you, it's not a walk in the park. It's uh, unless you your income level qualifies you for subsidies on the exchange. As you go to healthcare.gov, then it will either take you to a state-run exchange or you'll buy on the federal exchange. You'll be able to see through um, answering questions about income what you have to pay net for a policy. And there are policies of various levels of coverages and deductibles that will be available to you there that are generally color-coded bronze, silver, gold. There are virtually no platinum plans, although those were supposed to be the fanciest. And you'll see what that cost will be per month. It varies very much by state and even, in many cases, regions within a state. You could go on healthcare.gov just to get a sense of what it would cost you by going through the process without completing it, you'll be able to see the typical premium you would see per month for your situation to buy your own coverage. You also have the option if you are uh, if you are religious, you may be able to join a religious co-op for health coverage. It's not the same as health insurance, but it's where people pool money and pay for some of people's health care costs at much lower premiums than buying on the health care exchange. But those policies many times will not cover a major illness. If you had a bad cancer, the coverages may be limited, but they will cover routine kind of care at a much lower monthly premium. Kenneth said, Clark mentioned something about convenience stores and said he could discuss another day. Would you please try to persuade him to discuss in the near future? Now, I'm very interested in hearing his take on these stores, and I would bet your listeners would enjoy it as well. Do you remember Did that? you write as Kenneth? No, Did you no. Because Krista finds it fascinating that I'm so animated about the convenience store industry. And the reason is the major oil companies are pathetic at being retailers. They run horrible operations. And so what's happened in much of the country, except uh, most of the Northeast and some of the West Coast, is everywhere else pretty much in the country, regional 
or super regional convenience store chains have popped up that sell gasoline, but that's not what they're really about. They're about selling uh, fresh food made to order, normal convenience store kind of things. And the really brilliant players in this don't mark up prices like you're walking into a CVS or a Walgreens. They actually provide approachable prices on things. Uh, Some of the bigs are uh, Sheets, Wawa. There are two companies named Quick Trip. One spelled uh, Q-U-I-K-T-R-I-P, the other K-W-I-K-T-R-I-P. They don't have anything to do with each other, but they're both really good operators. Uh, There's one called Racetrack. There are various of these around the country that are coming to dominate both the sale of fuel in the United States and offering a safe environment for women. Did you know that's the key criteria with all these chains? Only because I've heard you talk about it so much. Yeah, it's just ingenious that people started realizing that if a woman did not feel safe at night at your place of business, then you were going to lose so much business. So that's why you see these places lit up like they're a border crossing with a communist country or something. There's just the the Clegg lights everywhere that make it like daytime at night and tend to have, I mean, there can be crime at these places. It's not like they're crime free. But the idea is from the business plan on up to make it a safe environment for people. And the food thing has become really important for all these chains because they offer menus where you order at either at the gas pump, there will be a screen you can order or you can order on an app or you order at a terminal inside the store, limited menus, good pricing generally, and fresh food. Like you're obsessed with this though. This is the funny thing. Like you love it, which is fun. Like I remember Since I, was I don't buy food. gasoline. Well, is I that know. crazy? I, I was, drive an electric car. Terrible. I have for 11 years. I drive electric. <laughs> Well, I remember I was driving my son to something um, out in a place, a part of our town that I usually don't go to, and uh, you, I told you where I was, and you're like, oh my gosh, there's a such and such ga- convenience station across, across from you, and I think it's like the fifth generation type, like you know each kind, <laughs> like each generation of store they have, and all the, and you made me go in, and it was, it was, I mean, it made it cool for me, I never would have thought about it if you hadn't said that. Well, you know, I'm a boring merchant, <laughs> and I love business. I absolutely love the free enterprise system. I love the creativity people use where they see an opening in the marketplace, where they say a weakness in the marketplace, a failure to provide in the marketplace. And as long as government isn't messing it up by limiting who can be in a business or issuing licenses, only these people can be in or that people, the free market speaks. I mean, think about the restaurant business. Can you think of a better form of true capitalism than the restaurant business in the United States. It's hard to succeed, uh, but people try because they want to make a go of it. And it is a constant churning is formats succeed, formats fail. I mean, I love this opportunity people have to serve people. And I love what these chains have done in competition with the tone-deaf oil companies who wouldn't know how to run a decent fresh food operation or convenience store if their lives depended on it, and the free market came in 
and made it happen. So that's the deal. That's my fascination. And yes, I do study them. It is true. I am a total loser. I am a complete loser in that I actually study these operations. I go inside, I walk around, I see how they do things. And I always check one thing. Do you know what it is that I check? The, the floor, like the carpet? Always check the bathrooms. Oh. To me, with any business, you can tell if that business is well run, if they oh, do business yeah. with the public, if the bathrooms are yeah. clean or dirty. Especially if you want to eat there, for sure. Well, I don't, I don't I'm not as worried about that as you are. <laughs> but, but to me, how you maintain your bathrooms is the ultimate sign of how much you care about your employees, your customers, and what kind of business you run. Because everybody's got to go, right? Mm-hmm. And when you're on any uh, freeway driving to and from Florida, every place claims on their signs, the cleanest bathrooms, because <laughs> they know it too, that that is something that makes or breaks your reputation with a customer. But enough about this. <laughs> I hope that you enjoyed today's podcast. You know, if we didn't get to the question you have or something you wanted to discuss today, do you know we offer now in our 29th year, because we started February 1st, 1993, providing free one-on-one advice to you. And you can talk with a member of our Team Clark Consumer Action Center Monday through Friday. 10 in the morning Eastern to 4 in the afternoon Eastern time, 636-49-CLARK.